Hello and welcome to Leading With Your Guts, a podcast series featuring individuals who share stories and topics about embracing fear and having the courage to make intuitive gut decisions. The purpose of this podcast is to empower listeners to follow their intuition, trust in themselves, and have the strength to own their story. Together, we will hear from guests who defy societal expectations and inner negative thoughts and beliefs about themselves. The guests on this podcast are not perfect, and neither am I. Leading with your gut embraces authenticity, vulnerability, and the courage to be truly seen as we are. I'm your host, Jenna Renee Shellman. You can find me and Leading with Your Gut on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Music is by Shaw Wild, spelled C-H-A space W-I-L-D-E. You can find the intro and outro music, Delivered to Earth on a Rainbow, by Shaw Wild, on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Stay tuned for an interactive and creative lineup of powerful stories on Leading with Your Gut. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. This is the story of Jules Hannaford, an intelligent and compassionate mother looking for love. Through online dating, Jules met Truman, a handsome and charming man thousands of miles away in Manchester. Together, they formed an online romance that led to Truman to manipulate Jules for her money. This is a story of how one woman didn't listen to her intuition, and could have been seriously hurt and potentially killed. Through Jules's experience and shame, she was empowered to write the memoir, Fool Me Twice, winning the Nonfiction Authors Association Award in 2019, and publishing a hit podcast series with her daughter, Zara Hannaford, called, you guessed it, Fool Me Twice. Fool Me Twice is ranked number seven on Podcast Magazine's Top 50 and continues to succeed. In this week's episode, Jules not only shares her story, but how her trauma gave her purpose and fulfillment to help other online dating victims, as well as the success and positive impact of the show and her memoir. We learn that the scamming business is a billion-dollar industry affecting thousands of lives, leaving people heartbroken, robbed of money, and emotionally distressed. Jules offers tips, red flags, and support for listeners. Some advice that Jules provides? Listen to your gut. Want to hear her full story? You can find Fool Me Twice, the podcast, on every major directory, and her memoir through Amazon and Barnes & Noble. I want to thank Jules for giving me the opportunity to share her story. This is Fool Me Twice with Jules Hannaford. You are on the show here today to talk about 
a little bit about your story and how you didn't necessarily use your intuition when you were going through Romance Gammon. And I'm so like I'm so glad you're on the show for a lot of different reasons. One, this is a very important topic to talk about. Most of the people that have been on the show have talked about how their intuition has led them. So I like this perspective of being in a situation where you were manipulated and you didn't use your intuition. I come from Australia. I live in Hong Kong and I'd been single for many, many years. It, I was in my early 40s at the time. This happened 10 years ago. And I was just really pining for that kind of companionship and intimacy. And, you know, my job was brilliant. I had a wonderful daughter. I had lots of opportunities. My life was great. I'm well educated. But I just felt like something was missing from my life. So I started online dating. And I met this guy who lived in Manchester. And he just seemed to be absolutely fantastic. I didn't love him, but I just really was into the type of person that he was and we had similar values. But looking back now, I can see that he had really started to catch on to everything that I was saying to him and using it as a tool to manipulate me, if that makes sense. Everything I was sharing about who I was and my dreams and my hopes and things like that that he was turning it around and using it to draw me in further and to catch me into his web of lies. And basically everything that he really told me was a lie. And when you look at catfishing, catfishing is where somebody presents themselves to be somebody else in order to draw you in and get some sort of financial gain. So he was catfishing me, but the only thing that was different is Generally, catfishers use different images of themselves as well, whereas he actually used his real image. So I actually decided to go and meet him because for me, I didn't want any long-term romance online. I didn't feel like you could really connect with somebody online and I didn't feel like you could fall in love with somebody without meeting them. Even though I was keen and I was interested, I wasn't in love. So I went to meet him. I think he was shocked that I was coming to meet him. I think it threw him for a bit of a loop. And I went to Manchester to meet him. And he ended up just manipulating me for money, making promises about our future, getting me to lend him money because he'd quit his construction job and he wanted to get his mobile phone business up and going. But none of this was true. But I didn't realize at the time and I missed all of these red flags and I so desperately wanted love and a partnership and a future with somebody that I really did push any kind of gut instinct or concern aside. So I ended up giving him a, a whole bunch of money and then he, he was so giddy and excited and then he actually, we had a big fight one night and I realized that I'd made a mistake and that this wasn't what I thought it was. And he'd been really horrible to different people and I'd seen a side of him I really didn't like. And I tried to get away from him, which is in the first episode of the podcast where I try to escape from the hotel room with the money that was still in the back pocket of his jeans. And he woke up as I was trying to go out of the door and I just nearly had a heart attack and I was so despondent and I couldn't get out and I'd had a couple of drinks and I wasn't thinking very clearly and I just got back into bed and just felt that, you know, I couldn't get away. And then the next day he knew that I was on the edge of leaving and he just reeled me back in and he just was so manipulative and told me what I wanted to hear and apologized and 
just caught me off guard and reeled me back in again and then took me to Liverpool for the day and tried to get me to go in on this apartment complex that he said he'd bought a, a flat in and he needed someone to co-sign on the mortgage. And it's just like none of that was true either. But by this time, I knew my gut was telling me, get out of this. So I'd refused and he, you know, he wasn't happy that he couldn't get more out of me. And then in the end, it turned violent and, you know, I got crushed between a door and a wall. I thought I was going to lose the hire car. He had it. He'd taken it from me. And, you know, I was in some random hotel in Manchester that I could have been murdered in. And I felt very, very lucky to get out of that situation with my life. And looking back, I put myself at risk because I didn't want to lose this hire car, which he had pressured me not to insure. And so I was afraid I was going to be in debt for £10,000 or £20,000. I didn't know. So I really put myself at risk for this material thing, and I shouldn't have. I should have just kept myself safe and let the car go. But I got the car back and I got away with my life, but I was very, very lucky. And then when I got back to Hong Kong, I tried to prosecute him, but it didn't work. But I found out that he was a career criminal with a rap sheet dating back to the 1990s and had used over 20 aliases. So that just sent my blood running cold because it's like, oh, my gosh, I was probably at more risk than I even knew at the time. Ooh, that just sent chills like up my spine. I know, me too. Even telling it again <sighs> 10 years later, it's just like, oh. I bet. I bet. And I'm so glad that you're okay, yeah. that you did get out of that. Especially knowing that he is a career criminal. He's sounds like he's some type of sociopath or some type of insane narcissist or something that could have potentially have done even more harm to you. I know that he did do harm to you, but I'm glad that you are out of it, right? And glad that you're glad that you're safe. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad I'm out of it. I think he was a career criminal who was trying to move into this romance dating scam area. And that he was new at it and he didn't really quite know how to manage it properly. Like, for example, giving me his real photos. Like, for example, letting me come to see him. Like most romance scammers will not connect with their victim in person. They make excuses. They keep putting things off. They change things. They lie. They get, you know, arrested or sick or whatever. And they can't get to the meeting destination and they just keep trying to get money. So I think he was moving from being more of a career criminal trying to get into the romance scam area and hadn't quite nailed it. I like a lot of the different terms that are brought up. I know you, we talked about catfishing. One of the terms was anchoring, I believe. And I think it was Dr. Shiloh that brought that up. Can yeah. you explain a little about what that is? I think anchoring is really connected to grooming where they make you comfortable. They make you trust them. They tell you what you want to hear they flatter you, they praise you, they try to anchor you in the relationship mm -hmm. so that they feel then confident in then pushing the limits and then they try to test you and see how far that you will go. So they'll start off by asking for an Apple gift card. Do you know what I mean? They'll start off with the little things and then they'll start anchoring and seeing how much you're willing to give. And that's what Truman was doing with me. He was starting off with the money for the shop. Then he went big with the apartment, which I wouldn't uh, look into or agree to. 
then he went back to asking for a little bit more money for his rent. So he went middle ground, he went big, he didn't have success, and then he went back again. And all the while, he's manipulating me by flattering me and praising me and and telling me what he wants to hear from remembering all of the things that I've said in the past. And at the same time, he was also gaslighting me. So gaslighting is a term that stems from the 1940-something movie Gaslight where this guy keeps flickering the lights on and off with his wife to make her think that she's going crazy. And he was doing that by using past stories that I'd shared with him on me to make me feel guilty or question my choices, making me feel crazy about some of the things that had happened manipulating me, getting angry, accusing me of smoking or doing these other things that would make me get upset or backpedal on how I was feeling, you know, trying to convince me that I shouldn't insure the hire car. And I cried in that thing because he got mad at me, but then he would come and hug me and say he was sorry. All of that was part of gaslighting as well. So he was doing all of these things, the grooming before I came, the anchoring when I got there, the gaslighting to make me feel crazy. The whole thing was a, a version of catfishing. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it, how it works? Yeah. It's absolutely disgusting what he did and what people out there are capable of doing. When you were over in Manchester and he was anchoring you, you know, he was asking you for small bits of money and then he was giving you praise. And did you, you know, especially like starting out like with the the higher, the, the rental car that you got, the B, it was a BMW or something, right? Did oh, you, no, it was just some stupid car. I can't remember. Like, just like a, I don't know, Hyundai or whatever. Right, <laughs> it wasn't right. a BMW. Was it? Um, no, no, no. The BMW was the car that he said he had when he was working in the construction business as a project manager working on million-dollar projects. Yeah. But it just so happened he quit his job because I was coming to visit right. him, and so he had to let go of the car. Like, all absolute lies. But at the time... I was just like, oh, okay. Like I was just taking things at face value because I'm an honest person with integrity and that level of naivety, even though I was in my 40s at the time, I just didn't realize that people could lie and manipulate and have a mean side and have sort of some sort of agenda because I'm not that type of person. So that was a huge lesson for me to learn. But yeah, the BMW was another lie he told me. Got it. Okay. I'm get, I get confused with all of his lies. That's okay. Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> and, and, you know, there are a lot of times when, you know, when you're sharing your experience of being in Manchester for the, the week or so that you were there, there are times you said, you know, I, I got scared because he raised his voice and then, you know, he stormed off. And like when you're in the restaurant with him and the, the patrons were looking at you kind of like with fear. And at that time... Did you feel like something was off or did you just think like, I mean, I guess, what were you thinking during that time? So, yes, I was uncomfortable. There was a sinking feeling in my stomach. I definitely felt like something was off, but I chose to ignore it. Mm -hmm. And I really did choose to ignore it until it all culminated with the end of that evening where I tried to get away from the hotel room because there'd been so many little events that I just couldn't ignore my gut any longer. But then, of course, I didn't get out and he reeled me in the next day. But one of the things I've learned is it's so important to trust your instincts and not push them aside. Like we have these instincts for a reason and I didn't trust my gut 
And I should have trusted my gut because the signs were there, the feelings were there. And I have learned to now really use that and utilize that gut instinct very much since. And I also have built confidence in the fact that if I do feel like something is not right and I'm trusting my gut to act on it and get myself out of a situation and keep myself safe. So I definitely didn't trust my gut when I should have and the instincts absolutely were there, but I ignored them. I love that you said that. I am imagining all of the people, men and women who are have been in are in current situations and they are feeling it inside them that something is not right, but they're not doing it. And I guess that brings to my next question is thinking back, do you think you didn't listen to your gut because uh, out of fear or were you just so hopeful that maybe this guy actually is great? I think probably a little bit of both, but maybe more that hopefulness, that hope. I've been alone for so long. This is what I really want. He's absolutely handsome and gorgeous. I can change him. Maybe this is a one-off. Making excuses for him. He's had a couple of drinks. Maybe he's under stress. We've just got to know each other. Maybe this is not what he's like all the time. So I think I was making excuses in my mind for his behavior. But the other thing which I point out in my book, and I don't know if I point this out in the podcast, I don't think I do, is that I went through two quite serious domestic violent relationships in my 20s. And I think that because I had those experiences, all of his behaviors were not that unfamiliar to me. And so I have a feeling that that also played into the fact that I didn't get out because I was kind of used to this sort of behavior or I'd experienced it before or what I'd been through in my 20s kind of normalized it a little bit when it shouldn't be like that. But having said that again, I did say in the book when he kicked off like a psychopath at the very end because of the domestic violent relationships I was in in my 20s and the experience I've had with violence. I was able to stay completely calm in that situation. I didn't get hysterical. I didn't get angry. I stayed super, super calm. It was almost like, oh, my gosh, here we go again. And I think that actually saved my life. I think if I'd gone hysterical or got super angry, I could have been murdered in that hotel room. So in that way, having had that past experience helped And also it was able to keep me calm and then I could rely on my gut instinct there in that situation to stay calm and to keep in that survival mode. But I am the type of person that is really good in any sort of emergency. I'm a quick thinker. I'm the person giving first aid. I'm the person that reacts and responds well. So I'm not somebody that freezes in in a crisis situation and that's the nature of my personality. So all of that helped me survive, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I was so impressed when we got to that part where you remained so calm and he had just like smashed you in between the door and the wall. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking like, I literally want to murder this man. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Smashed the door on you. Smash me. Like I didn't oh. even realize my injuries till a day later because all the adrenaline's pumping. I was in shock. I didn't really feel it. I didn't know how hurt I was and I just kept going. So that's where adrenaline plays a big part in keeping you able to function in those sort of emergency situations Mm -hmm. and fear Mm -hmm. 
and the desire to survive and the fact that I'm a single mum and I can't have my daughter left without a, a mother. All of these reasons kept me focused and on two goals, which was survival and getting back the car. But in actual fact, I should not have tried to get back the car. I should have been solely focused on my survival. And actually focusing on the car did definitely put me at greater risk. And the there is like a man outside, right? And you whispered in his ear he was smoking? Yes. When we went outside, there was a guy having a smoke and I was following Truman to the car because I had to let him into the car to get his stuff out of the car. And as I walked past this guy, I just said, really, without even Truman being able to hear, if this guy beats me, please call the police. He's like, okay. And did he watch you the whole way? Yeah. Then he watched the whole way. Yeah. And so that was really nice. And, uh, you know, I felt very, very sorry to the hotel owners and his wife who Truman went nuts on them and was very threatening and psycho at them as well. And his wife was crying and. It was such an unreal situation. Like now that I'm talking about it, like it just sounds like a film. It doesn't sound like real life, but it really was a very, very high stress, but very violent, aggressive situation that went on for a long time. Like that whole thing went on for longer than half an hour. And like I said, I'm so glad that you, you know, were able to get out safely and you were able to fly back to Hong Kong. Then the processing, you know, kind of happened in terms of you tried to get him indicted and he had sent some like crazy emails, right? Like denying. Didn't he try to deny everything? Yeah, yeah. He denied everything and he tried to blackmail me for more money when I got back to Hong Kong because I'd given him my business card. So he threatened to contact my work and say that I was a thief and a liar and say that I'd stolen this stuff from him. So I had to go to my one of my managers And say, look, this is what's happened to me and this guy may possibly call the school and make accusations about me. And I was so embarrassed and the shame and it's all-encompassing. It's just amazing. Like I was sick with shame and embarrassment. And something that I would say to anybody who's been through this kind of experience is, Owning your story, as Brené Brown tells us, can be one of the most powerful things that we can ever do. And it's so amazing how it's helped me overcome my shame. I've had support from my work for telling my story. The feedback from everybody has been absolutely amazing. I'm getting messages and reviews and emails that are so powerful. It really has helped me overcome that shame and shift from feeling foolish and ashamed and someone who didn't trust their instincts and didn't recognize any red flags to now being somebody who can help others and can help people to recognize if they're in this situation and to online date safely and to trust their instincts and their red flags and give them skills to get out of these situations and to own their own story as well if it's happened to them. So I've really been able to turn something which was really, really dangerous and horrific and scary and shameful into something that's very powerful and educates others. I love that you have been able to transform your experience into a story that is moving people. I mean, like I said earlier, you just released the podcast a few months ago and it's received over 100,000 downloads and it's on charts and it's trending you know, because people can relate. Yes, it is produced very, very well, but people have relatable stories. And one of the things that I do love about the show is that you and Zara incorporate 
other people's stories into it as well. So you hear these tidbits and I think almost every single episode of another individual who was victimized by a romance scam. And I just kept sitting here thinking like, I can't believe this happens on like a regular basis, but apparently it does. And there needs to be some type of resource or platform for people to go to for like help when this happens. Yeah, and there are platforms and there's a few Facebook pages called Advocating Against Romance Scams and Anti-Scamming Pages and there are a lot of support available now and I urge people to reach out and get support from these Facebook groups because there are a lot of people there that can support you but you can also go to your local GP, you can go to your local minister if you're in the church or go to the police, you can go to a counsellor, but there's support out there. But one of the things that I did was I, my daughter was the first person I spoke about. As I left Manchester, I stopped in London where she was living and she met me for a couple of hours with her boyfriend and she was the first person that I told that story to. Now, you can imagine as a mother, that's very hard to tell your 21-year-old daughter what you've just been through and how you put your life at risk and the stupid mistakes that I'd made. And she was so supportive. And she said something like, you know, one of your greatest qualities is that you're so loving and you're so caring. You just think that everybody is such a good person, but you've just got to learn from this that not everybody is, but it's not your fault. And so I also urge people to reach out to family members because Generally, people are very, very loving and accepting and they're not judgmental. And even if they're upset or angry or disappointed to start with, they will come around. And I think having my daughter's support was a massive part of me being able to share my story. That's great. When did you write the memoir? (laughs) I started with a 7,000-word statement (laughs) with police. (laughs) For in 10 years ago and uh, they were like no we don't need all this cut it down so I cut it down just they're like just give us the facts I'm like okay <laughs> so I cut it down to 700 words but that's when I started really because one of my friends said write it down it'll be very cathartic it'll be very healing just start writing and I kind of in the back of my mind thought that I would write a book one day and and share my story with others in the hope that other people wouldn't be caught in the same trap that I was. I really sat down and wrote a hardcore for about four months in 2018 while I was still teaching full-time and running my other podcast, Hong Kong Confidential. So it was quite a stressful time, and I would advise anybody who writes a book to give themselves more time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I did it a bit too fast. But uh, anyway, I'm so glad that I did it. I got a lot of anxiety at that time, which was really interesting because that's not something that I've ever had. I've never dealt with any sort of anxiety or depression or anything in my life, but I got very anxious during that time. I think partly because I was sharing the story and having to relive it and that I had to tell my parents. They didn't know anything about it. I was so embarrassed to tell my family. My brother knew, my daughter knew, but my parents didn't know. And then I had to get sort of support from my job because my job is the most important thing in my life. I I did not want to do anything that would jeopardize my job. And I'm so thrilled that The company that I work for and my principal were 100% supportive and they're like, 
this is a universal theme, this is going to help other people, we're behind you. So to have that sort of validation from family and friends and my colleagues, that gave me the courage to keep moving forward. I was also very, very anxious because of the stress that I was under with the pressure of work and all of my roles and and the podcast and then writing the book and I just put myself under too much pressure in one time. But at the same time, it was very, very healing and I'm really, really glad that I did it. I'm so glad this has been a healing experience for you. What happened to Truman? Is he still out there? Well, I haven't put this in the book or in my podcast, but I'm going to share it with you. I actually found him on Facebook and it looks like he's in Ghana. He's still using the same alias that he had when he was with me, which is not the name that's in the book if anybody's like trying to find him. (laughs) I used a fake name in the book and the podcast. And it looks like he's actually been through treatment for alcohol. Do you think that's true? Like, did he put that on Facebook? He put a picture of a scene which has got a chair in it, which has got a phrase on it that I can't remember, but it's a phrase linked to AA Uh on the bench. And then he's also made some comments in a thread about not taking that first drink and the struggle. So that's how I put together that he looks like he's been to treatment. And I think he's got a child as well. Do you believe that? Do you believe the story? Oh, look, who knows? But, yeah, like it wasn't announcing he's been to treatment. It's me putting all the pieces together. So, yeah, I think that maybe he did have an issue with alcohol and that could be linked to why he was so violent with me and so unpredictable and aggressive with others as well. And it kind of makes sense looking back. But, you know, God, who knows? Sometimes I've thought about reaching out to him and seeing if he'll be like season two. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) But I I don't want to alert him to the fact that I've written the book and done this podcast. And, yeah, I just think it's not worth the risk. Yeah, Yeah. I I was going to ask you, do you think that he knows that you have done this and that it's been a huge success? So, like, his story is all over the world, but I just don't know if he realizes – No, I'm pretty sure he hasn't because he would still have my email. I've got the same email. I'm sure he would have contacted me and said, you know, what the hell, whatever. I don't know. But no, I don't think he does. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Have you heard of – there is a a show. It's on Netflix. It's called Dirty John. Yeah, yeah. It's a podcast as well. I feel like my podcast is very similar and I really want to get a – Netflix deal where this gets turned into a TV series that's my next kind of goal Mm -hmm. so if any of your listeners are Netflix producers yes uh, please or agents for Netflix please reach out to me at jules at hongkongconfidential.net yes I'm gonna take (laughs) Netflix I'm gonna do hashtag Netflix Your, your story would make an incredible Netflix series And we could get all those experts involved and have them on live and we could get all the women who who have been scammed involved. Yeah, it could be really amazing. Yeah. For those of you that haven't seen Dirty John, I think it was originally on Bravo and then it it came to Netflix like in November and like everyone was talking about it, uh, this romance scam um, and the man almost killed the woman's daughter. I mean, it it was absolutely insane and it was originally from a – a podcast from, I can't remember his name, but he's from the Los Angeles Times. 
And it's an incredible story. And I, as I was listening to your story, Fool Me Twice, I was literally thinking, Truman is Dirty John. Truman is Dirty John. Like there are these people out here. Like I can't. Yeah. There's so many similarities between their personalities. Absolutely. Including lying about their jobs and their backgrounds and their history and everything. Truman lied to me so much. You, like you said, this has been an experience where you could take your story and your shame and really turn it into something so powerful. I'm sure you've learned so much from everything, but I guess what is the biggest takeaway that you've had from this experience? The biggest takeaway, I think, is for me to find fulfillment for myself in my own life, on my own, not look for somebody else to fill some hole or some gap. And I really think I've done that by writing the book and podcasting and helping others. And like I said, I've got my other podcast, Hong Kong Confidential, where I interview really incredible people about their stories. And that's so inspiring. Like I did not realize, like I wanted to do that because I love podcasting and I wanted to share people's stories, but I didn't realize I would get so much out of it personally. And same again, like I just got a message today from a woman who said she cried all the way through the podcast, that she'd been scammed terribly. He was still harassing her and her daughter. And thank you so much for what you've done and for sharing your story. And it's helped her so much. Like I just got that message this morning and it's that kind of validation and appreciation That just makes me realize that, you know, you've got to find your own passion. You've got to find your niche and you've got to do what it is that makes you feel fulfilled and happy. And creativity in all forms is a fantastic way to do that, as is sport and nature. And I think people need to think about their well-being. They need to think about what they can do to make their life feel more fulfilled so that they don't need to be searching for these other things in their life that they think are going to make them happy. Happiness comes from within. Oh, amen. I love that. (laughs) Amen. You are so right beyond belief. At the end of the day, we make many relationships and we work with many people, but at the end of the day, the biggest relationship that we have is with ourselves. And the other thing is I've learned is trust your instincts. Mm. If you've got that little inkling in your gut or in your heart or in your mind that something is not right, listen to it because 99% of the time you're correct. Yep. Yep. You are. Mm. Oh my gosh. Wow. So now you, goodness, you have the book, you have the podcast, you're in Hong Kong, you're a teacher. I love that by the way. People Mm -hmm. are writing you emails. They're inspired by you. Are you part of any, you said there's some online Facebook groups for this. Like, are you part of any like advocacy group or online group or anything you want to share? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm not running any of these groups, but I am definitely a part of and active in advocate against romance scams, scam watch. And I don't know if that's an Australian company, but I'm in the Scam Watch side as well. There's Scammer Stories podcast. There's Scam Awareness Australia. There's Scamming Scammer Cyber Safety, Scam Alerts Australia, 
beware of romance scammers, love scammers page. There's one laughing, learning and loving for survivors, loneliness, safety and scams. So this is a really good support page for people who have been scammed. It's run by some lovely women, two of whom are on my podcast. It's only a small group of 282 members, but they do a fantastic job of supporting some of these women who have lost everything. Petro in episode four lost 80,000 US dollars, lost her house. Her family left her basically and are not supporting her and she's ended up in a homeless shelter in South Africa. Wow. Yeah, so this group stopped her from doing something to harm herself in actual fact. So there are lots of lots of support groups and Facebook is a great place to get support and to feel like you're not so alone. So, yeah, they're all groups that I'm a part of and I share my story with and I get a lot of feedback from people how much they appreciate hearing my story because it makes them feel less ashamed and less alone in their own scam stories. For those people who are not as intuitive or are too afraid to listen to their intuition, what would be some good tips or red flags you know, concrete data for people to look for when not even online dating, just dating in general? So I think the red flags to watch out for are if their story doesn't match up, if they are saying things that don't really make sense, if they're repeating themselves. Sometimes scammers copy and paste from one person to another. I've had that where I've had the same thing sent to me twice. If they give you a phone number that's in a different country from the one that they tell you that they're in, if they say that they can't Skype or FaceTime with you, like in this day and age, of course they can. Oh, my camera's broken. No, you're a scammer. So there are loads of red flags to look out for. If you look at their social media and they don't have many people on there, you can Google people and search them and find information on them. You should do your due diligence before you date anybody. Google them. You can reverse image search. You can take the images that you've got from them and put them into reverse image search in Google and see if anything comes up. There are scamming pages online where you can go online and there are warnings about certain people. There are these Facebook groups as well. Love bombing is something you should look out for. What's Scammers love bombing? Love bombing is where they go in hard and fast. You're amazing. You're just what I've been looking for. Saying I love you before they've even met you. How can you love somebody before you even meet them? Like it just doesn't make sense. You can't really fall in love online. And that's something that I really want people to know because what you're getting online is just one aspect of this person or is a complete fabrication of this person. Like you can't know until you're physically with somebody when you re- whether you really love them. And I think that's what I'd like people to take away from this romance scamming industry. And I get it. People, hormones play a part. Oxytocin plays a part. Loneliness is a huge factor. It's very easy to think, oh, my gosh, I love this man. He is so, or woman, they're so wonderful the way they, the way they're treating me and how much they care and how often they check in on me. This is all part of their game and it's not necessarily real. So I really think people need to meet somebody as quickly as possible. Don't have a long, strung out romance online 
And if you live in Hong Kong and you're dating someone in America and you don't have any means to meet them at any point, stop. Find somebody in your area. That's a key thing as well. And then, of course, if you're going to then go and meet somebody in person, you've got to make sure you're FaceTimed with them first to see who they say they are. Make sure you're meeting in a busy public area where you can be safe. Make sure you've given that person's information and details to a couple of your other friends before you go and meet them. If you're a young teenager or a young person, take a friend or a, even your parents with you. You know, anybody who's a decent person will absolutely understand why you're bringing others with you. You can set up groups of friends in the same area that are keeping an eye on you. You should absolutely have a friend text or call you during the, the date to make sure that you are safe. And if you need an excuse to leave, then that's your excuse. I've actually been on dates since where I've met somebody I've known immediately that it's not right. And I've just said, I'm really sorry. I'm not feeling this. Thank you so much. It's lovely to meet you. I'm going to leave. And Good I've left and paid for the drink. So having these plans and these strategies and this confidence to do that, do it kindly, do it respectfully, but you're not obliged to spend four hours with somebody if you're feeling uncomfortable or you're not happy. Never, ever, ever get in a car with somebody. Never meet them at their house. Never let them pick you up. Never give them your address or any more than your phone number. Don't even give people your last name necessarily until you've met them. There are so many things that you can do to make sure that you date safely or you online date safely, but they're just a few of them. Thank you so much. Those are those are incredible, incredible tips. Oh, um, can I add one more thing? Yes, of course. People who are online dating, never, ever, ever give any money to anybody or yes. your credit card details. It's got to be the absolute golden rule. And if anyone is asking you for money, that is a sure sign that they are a scammer. Scamming. I love all of those. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, and you bring this up um, in the show too. You talk about The Bachelor, which has been around forever. I think it started when I was in college in like 2005 or something like that. And it, it is a, you know, continuously hit show. I will personally say that I have never liked the show. I won't watch it. I think I watched a few episodes when I was in college. I hated everything about The Bachelor. If anyone on here loves The Bachelor, I'm sorry, but like I cannot stand it, right? But, <laughs> I love it. But you love it. <laughs> yeah. So many people around the world love The Bachelor, but I can't help but wonder, it is a fake setting, right, where you have either a bachelor or a bachelorette, doesn't matter, man or woman where they're spending limited time with these people. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're in love. And I think about it. And I think about these romance scams. I'm wondering the people who are the victims, are they almost seeing themselves in a situation? Well, if this happened, you know, this happened on The Bachelor, right? Where they went to these romantic places and a helicopter and they barely knew each other and they decided to get married. Like, I don't know if that if that yeah. is like a message that people are reading, that you can find that, love like yeah. this fast and this easy with without knowing yeah. people. Look, I don't know. that is such a fantastic question. And I think on a subconscious level, yes. But I think that many of us really are romantics at heart. And like we are creatures that are designed for companionship and loneliness can be a really debilitating feeling that can really impact people terribly. So 
I think we all crave validation. We all crave love. It's normal to feel like that. But I think shows like The Bachelor and Love Island and all of that do then just plant these seeds in our minds that we can have these whirlwind romances, that life should be about having these incredible experiences where really love can be meeting somebody down the pub and going to the movies together and that's about it. Do you know what I mean? Like it can be very simplified. But I think logically, if we think about it, we know that it's not really real. But on a subconscious level, many of us maybe have these desires or these dreams or these hopes, and that could play into why we make these choices. But I think it really is more about loneliness and vulnerability and craving intimacy and craving love and wanting to share our lives with people. I think that really is where it all starts. Thank you for sharing that. Like I said, I don't watch The Bachelor, but I also watch Outlander, which those of you that watch Outlander. Oh, yeah, I love that. Is, oh, my goodness, like that is the. Ooh, there's ultimate. a new season coming soon. Oh, I just watched the first episode <laughs> last night. Oh, it started. Okay, yes. great. Jamie Frazier. Wow. Um, so, yeah. you know, that's, I guess that's my own version of The Bachelor. Of romance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I like The Bachelorette because. In a way, it's kind of a fantastic study on the human condition and it's really psychologically very interesting the way the people all interact and how they behave and the whole concept is outrageous. So in a way, it's sort of like train wreck television. But when people do connect and when they do fall in love, I definitely used to have that element of pining and thinking, oh, I want that for me. I don't have that anymore. I'm very content in my life. If I find a relationship, then great. But if I don't, I don't care. But I think that's also linked with being postmenopausal now. <laughs> so I don't have that same desire for intimacy that I used to have. So that's been very liberating. And I also think my life is very full and very busy now with work and podcasting and promoting the book and all of that. So I don't have the same amount of time to feel lonely. And that brings me back to my earlier point about people finding things that they're passionate about and filling their time. And I think that's really important. I'm so glad you brought that up because loneliness is among so many people. I've definitely experienced it. Honestly, having this podcast like has made me found joy and purpose. And I'm like, I never feel lonely anymore, you know? So, yeah, me too. Uh, yeah. And it's it's a great sensation. I, I love that you said, you know, find your passions, find what, what makes you go. It's, it's not about, you know, trying to find love in a man or love in a woman or, you know, it's really about you internally. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is definitely the message we need to take away from all of this. Yes. Oh my goodness. Well, we have been talking for already an hour. (laughs) This has been such a good conversation. I know it's been great. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you. So you have Hong Kong Confidential, which by the way, I subscribed, but I need to, I think I started listening to one of them, but I need to listen to it. It sounds really good. You have Hong Kong Confidential and then hopefully Netflix deal on your way. And <laughs> yeah. you're still teaching English, which is fantastic. Is there anything else next for you? This is all exciting. What's next? Well, Zara Shade and I are kind of tossing up the idea of a second series of Fool Me Twice, where we feature individual stories mm-hmm. still with the experts and Zara narrating and me interviewing and stuff like that. So we're tossing up with that idea. I've put Fool Me Twice in a lot of awards. So let's see whether we get any shortlisting yeah. or any awards. That would be amazing. Yeah. I am looking to chase a television series deal for it. So I've kind of put, I'm putting feelers out. It's not going to be easy, but hopefully I can make that happen. 
And I'm continuing with Hong Kong Confidential, which is an interview style show. And you can literally just go in and look at, I've got 130 episodes up already. And you can go in, you can go in and just look at whichever story interests you and then just listen. There are so many amazing people with so many fantastic topics. And then fool me twice, obviously, you need to listen from one to nine. Where can you get the book? Oh, so the book's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It's Fool Me Twice by Jules Hannaford. And that is also doing really, really well. That won the Nonfiction Authors Association Gold Award in 2019 in the Ooh, USA. Nice. So, yeah. So that was a lovely, lovely uh, surprise that I won that. So people can buy it there. And I just think that you know, I'm going to go to Pod Movement Festival in Dallas in August. I've pitched to speak with Zara. So fingers crossed we get selected. We may not because I'm sure there's a lot of people who apply to speak at Pod Movement. I'm going to the True Crime Podcast Festival in Kansas City in July. Oh, and nice. I've pitched to speak there with Zara. So I'm hoping we'll get that gig as well. But if not, no worries. I'm featuring my podcast in the booths and I'll get to meet lots of different podcasting friends and connect with old friends. And, yeah, I love the podcast world. I feel like I've found my tribe. Me too. Everybody is so supportive. Mm -hmm. They're not competitive. They're really willing to share. The the support I've had with Fool Me Twice in particular has been incredible. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. So happy. Yes, I love I absolutely love your story. How can people find you? So people can find me on Facebook, Jules Hannaford. I've got a page, Hong Kong Confidential. I've got a page, Fool Me Twice, JH, which is my book and podcast. I'm on Instagram with all of those same handles. And I'm on Twitter at Jules Hannaford. And people can email me, Jules at HongKongConfidential.net. Great. This has been such a great interview thank you thank you so much for being on the show and being so incredibly vulnerable not just with me but with the podcast and with the book and the massive impact that you're having now with so many people who've had these stories thank you for taking your your shame and transforming it right and and being okay with it and I'm so glad that you are okay (laughs) I'm yeah, like, so wow, I'm so glad that Truman did not harm you anymore. And I'm so grateful that you are inspiring and empowering other people. So thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, Jenna, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's an absolute pleasure. You're an amazing interviewer. I feel oh, so lo- really connected with you, which oh, is really amazing. So thank you. thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And And last but not least, I'm going to say it again. People who are listening, please download and subscribe Fool Me Twice. You can find it on all the directories. You will binge listen to it. I did yesterday. (laughs) You can't put it down. Just how it's organized and structured and just the story is incredible. Um, So please, please download it when when you get a chance. Thank you so much, Jenna. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of Leading With Your Gut. Music by Shaw Wild. You can find Shaw's music on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, please email me at leadingwithyourgut at gmail.com. Thank you and happy listening. <laughs> <laughs>